back to school, it brings us different kinds of emotions. Depends on if you're a parent or if you're a student uh, or if you're a teacher. Back to school. Getting rid of the summer routines, the change up of routine during the summer, establishing more of a routine. But I tell you what, if you're a parent who has been mindful of what's happening out in our culture, there's a part of you that has a little bit of fear that goes along with the anticipation and excitement of getting your kids back. And what is that fear? The fear is, are they going to do well in school? Not just academically, but are they going to choose the right friends? Are they going to mix and mingle with the right people? Whose influence are they coming underneath? For you see, when you release your kids into another environment, and whether it's a public school or even you can be involved in Christian schools, you are releasing them for other influence in their life that could be good or it could be bad. And if you're a student and you're heading back to school, you're probably worried about, oh, where's my classes at? I still have nightmares, I don't know, because I spent so much time in school, that, that I got to the end of a college semester and I forgot to go to a class. You ever have those dreams? That's a weird dream. I know some people have these dreams, but you're fearing like, where's my classes at schedule? And oh, all this COVID stuff and the mask back. And I know there's, there's troubling uh, difficulty happening uh, already with some of the, uh, the COVID issues uh, in schools that went back this last week. But, you know, you got that fear, but then it's like, well, um, am, am I friends still going to like me or am I going to find friends? There's fear that can come on your re-entry into a school environment. So for us to pray for our children is of utmost importance. And whether they're going to a school or they're being homeschooled or whatever it may be, we need to be praying for our young children and our students and emerging young adults that they would not be afraid to stand on their faith and the truth, and the Word of God, and to be able to care, and to reach out, and to love others as Christ would have them. And it's not like you're putting them in a crucible to say, go at it, you're God's missionary, but they really are. They're the presence of the Lord. We do not uh, uh, have family ministries or children's ministries for future ministers. They are the ministers of God with their peers, and even with their teachers sometimes. So we pray for them, but there is this fear aspect that I want to circle back around to because it's not just going back to school that can cause anxiety. Some of you might have anxiety going back to work tomorrow, going back into the work environment or changing, or maybe there's something on the family front. And we have a lack of confidence, what sometimes can just be uh, just laid out fear of the unknown or what's going to be taking place. But that's not what God intended for Christ's followers to have. And we've been in this series in the book of 1 John, and I guess what? We are finally stepping across the threshold into the last chapter of the book of 1 John, a letter written by the aged uh, apostle of Jesus who was writing encouragement to believers in the day, uh, that he was in, and he has been exhorting them on different fronts, and he's going to be exhorting them in this area to have assurance and confidence in spite of fear issues in their lives as we step into this last part. I remember when I first stepped into trying to figure out how we were going to walk through the letter of First John um, back in the spring. 
I didn't think it would take this many weeks to get to chapter 5, that's for sure. But uh, I also did not realize how much uh, depth and breadth and richness there was in this letter. And when I began to look at it, there were different people, of course, you interact with uh, commentaries and otherwise as a pastor when you're trying to dig into God's Word. And a lot of people said, John's letter is just all over the map. You can't outline it. You can't track it. And, and, you know, he sort of swirls around on some of these themes and these topics. Well, that's true, but I don't think it's haphazard now that I've come to this point. In fact, there has been a structure and an order to it. And one of the gentlemen that's helped me is on this journey is a guy by the name of Ray Stedman from a number of years ago. And he framed up what I believe really is the kind of rightful outline to uh, this book. We've entitled the series Light and Life. And I said we could add light and life and love, but embedded in that, there are these themes. The themes in 1 John for the Christ followers, he's exhorting them in this letter, are these. Maintaining fellowship, maintaining fellowship with Christ himself, maintaining truth, maintaining righteousness, maintaining love, and now maintaining assurance and confidence in the midst of all that stands before us. These five themes he's been building on and working with, and as um, we've looked at these, the first one, maintaining fellowship with Christ, is actually directly tied to this last one that we're going to start looking at, which is maintaining uh, assurance or confidence in life. And all of us want to be confident people. We don't want to walk around fearful or overcome by concern and doubts or uh, trepidation. We want to be confident, alive people. We want to uh, have a rightful kind of boldness for the zest of life that we can live. And he's exhorting these Christ followers that way. And in the idea of having maintaining our assurance and confidence, there's the three themes, and the three themes are truth, love, and righteousness. Truth, love, and righteousness. So you want to maintain assurance and confidence in life to not bunker down, be fearful, whether it's of school or some type of opportunity that stands before you, then your assurance and confidence is going to be found in your relationship, your fellowship with the Lord Jesus. But in that, these three stand true, strong. Truth, love, and righteousness. So how you doing on those three? We've looked at the truth a lot. We've looked at the love and we're going to touch on this righteousness aspect. In Lamentations, there's uh, this passage. Lamentations is written by Jeremiah the prophet. It says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Lamentations is a book in the Old Testament of laments. Laments that come from the prophet Jeremiah. This passage was written in the midst of a very dark time. With the sieging of Jerusalem and, and all was taking place there. And Jeremiah doesn't just uh, go on a nice, positive thinking spiel here. He has found something of assurance and confidence in the depth of his soul 
that enables him to rise up over the immediate challenges of the day. If you were to look prior in this chapter, chapter 3, the laments that he has are pretty heavy. He says this in verses 1 through 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. And in verse 14, he says this, I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. He has been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Now, that's a lament. That is a woe is me, life is not going well. How many of you could be um, a great writer of a lament this morning that's going on in your life? I won't, you don't have to raise your hand, but there's stuff that's going on. And you can identify with Jeremiah and Lamentations that are going, my goodness, look, my life is just a wreck. And people are laughing at me. All my hope has been broken and dashed, down, discouraged. And then he turns around and he says this verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Sang a song last week. I won't sing a song this week, but there's a song that goes with that verse. Have you had it? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's not a, hey, you know, jack up your positive thinking and let's go at it. There's something in the depths of his soul that he realizes truth, love, righteousness that gives him the assurance and the confidence for his day. And I see far too many people, Christians, Christ followers, I've seen seasons in my own life where we've allowed the circumstances of our life to crush us, to weigh us down. Opportunities we're heading into that we're fearful of maybe, but also things that we've come out of that have taken life, the very uh, joy for life away from us. And what we need to do is not just rise above it, And say nice platitudes. Get some good vibes. We need to go to the heart of our faith and allow that faith to give us the confidence and the assurance that we need in life. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never, ever, ever, ever ceases. We talked about this last week, but I have to circle back around it to today. We said last week, A.W. Tozer, one of the quotes that I carry with him a lot is this quote that uh, the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God is one of the most important things about you. What comes to your mind when you think of God? Do you think of God as somebody who, yeah, maybe he saved you and he's forgiven you of sins, but sort of leaning over and just checking, keeping his eye on you, going, when are you going to mess up again? Or that's really not good. If you're going to earn my favor today, you better chalk it up to a bunch more works. 
We're saved by grace through faith, but then we begin to live underneath uh, the albatross of works and believing that our relationship with God is defined by how we're doing. It's not. He is a loving, heavenly Father. Some of us have a hard time relating to that aspect of a loving Heavenly Father because you didn't have one. But God is a loving Heavenly Father and His mercies never end. His steadfast love. You wake up in the morning and He smiles because you're His child. And He says, let's go. He doesn't say, all right, here's the checklist. This, this, and this. You better be working on it today. No. Our concept of God is critical for us to be able to gain assurance and confidence from day to day. And the prophet Jeremiah understood that, even in the midst of very, very dark and difficult circumstances in his world and in his personal life. The love that God has for you, John's bringing it up time and time again. The truth, his righteousness, These are not just nice things to speak on a Sunday morning, to listen to, and to walk out and face our hard day. These are things to soak deep into our life and to study, yes, but to experience and allow that experience to engage us with the experience of God and a love for others. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to the end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's a good verse to memorize. Maybe you need to post it on your mirror in the morning. Start your day. Live your week. Take advantage of the fall season, back to school, whatever it may be, students, teachers, and parents, and understand that God's in control and all is well. You keep watching enough news, and you'll get discouraged quicker than anything, right? You listen to what other people might think of you, you're going to get beat up pretty quick. But you listen to the Word of God and what He believes and knows to be true of you and what we can know to be true of Him. There'll be a bounce to your step, a confidence and assurance even when things look bleak. Maybe it's something on the job front, a business is not going well, maybe your job is being removed, maybe uh, you haven't been able to find much success on the health front recently and you're trying to get some problems resolved. There's a lot of woes that we can give. But friends, our destiny as Christ followers to be in the presence of God, to live eternally with Him, to be clothed with immortal bodies, to be able to rule and reign with Him, we need to climb into the bosom of the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases every single day. And when our kids go to school, we need to teach them that, show them that, pray that over them, and they can stand true to their faith in the Word of God as they know that God is with them every minute, every time that bell rings every teacher that they're struggling with trying to understand, every test that they encounter, every extracurricular activity where they don't get the position or the role that they would like. God's steadfast love needs to be taught, and it needs to be taught through you. Do you have that experience of God's love that bulls you over every morning? With that, let's step into chapter 5. 
because John had that kind of love. He was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He got it. He was overwhelmed by it, even into his 90s as he's writing this letter. And he says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. He's juxtaposing two things that come together, and we've talked about these coming together, truth and love. Truth and love. To know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, come in the flesh. To know Jesus, and this is not a cognitive no, this is the experiential no, the faith kind of no. To know and believe in Jesus Christ, who is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father then loves his child as well. He's taken the vertical dimension and making it the horizontal dimension all over again. He says, if you know and love Jesus, the Son of God, that love is in you, and then that love that's in you can be shared with others. And the love that we are to have for the children of God, the brothers and the sisters of God, we will have because we love the Father. Any of you have families that you're really close to in life? Uh, Maybe they're your biological extended family. I understand that. But let's take, for instance, another family that you've gotten to know as friends over the years. And you just love them. You like hanging out. You care about them. And maybe maybe you were there when their child was born. My wife had some different friends that were around in those early, uh, even birth stages of our children. And those are really close friends. And part of the reason they're close friends are why? Because if they love you, they're going to love your offspring, right? So John's saying, if you really love God, then you're going to love your brother and sister who is in the faith. You're going to love the children of God. And sometimes we are challenged with that. We don't know if uh, we love other people because maybe they've been mean to us or they've hurt us or we've been uh, sort of uh, indifferent to them or maybe they're uh, not wired like we are. God is one who has offspring spiritually, and if we are loving him, then we are called to love others who love him. And this whole thing, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the born of God, it's not just a mere cognitive belief uh, for those that are in that camp. Now, it can be, as the Apostles' Creed goes, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to the heavens, the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And there will. And you go on with the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's not those who just believe something like what the Apostle Creed teaches, which is truth about Jesus and God. Because there's people that believe, will say they believe that, but that will not live eternally with God. Because they've not made it personal. They've not seen to take that cognitive knowledge of knowing Jesus and making it personal. But if someone who's crossed over the line and has committed their life to Christ, if you've never done that in your life, 
You can do it any day. Today could be a day, maybe with a friend this week, where you say, you know, I've been living indifferent to God. I want to turn, repent from my sins. I want to follow Jesus. I want him to be a leader in my life. Yeah, I got still questions out there, but I know enough and I have faith enough to step in to that personal relationship. You step into that personal relationship, that experience changes you. You become adopted into a family. And that family is the family of God. You become a child of God. Your identity switches from, you know, you know just being an engineer or a nurse or a, uh, you know, a truck driver or whatever your profession may be. That's not your identity. Your identity is I'm now a child of God. You're in the family. And those who are in the family are to be loved, John says. And they're to be loved because you love the Father. And if you really love the Father, then why, why wouldn't you love the family? Why would I have an edge on me about somebody? Yeah, they may have hurt me, and I need to walk my way through how did I give that forgiveness, and maybe you don't get fully reconciled. But in your heart, you say, I cannot not choose to love them because I love the Father. And so this confidence, this assurance that we need to have comes from God the Father living in us. And as he lives in us, he's able to love others through us beginning in the church with Christ followers. But so many times we like to pickpocket. Well, I'm, I'm not of that denomination. I, I, you know, Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, you know, it's like, well, that's not my camp. Or, or maybe it's churches, that church in the valley and this church in the valley. We're all different. We sort of pocket to ourselves. No, there's only one church in this valley, and it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to be family and love them because we love the Father. And then it says in verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his command. So he's taken it away from just a a mere sentimentalness and saying there's actually a command that's involved in this. We know we're the, we know, we know, we know that we love the children of God by loving God, the Father, and carrying out his command, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You are extending that love horizontally as you've received it vertically in your life. This is an important point. We may ask, how do we know who we truly love? What is true love? All kinds of movies are that way. True love. What is true love? John articulates it here. And I've summed it this way. We truly love another person when our actions arise not out of personal feelings, but out of love for God and a desire to obey His word of truth. When love is expressed by righteousness, then we can be confident it is really love. Let me give you an example. Say, for instance, a boyfriend-girlfriend. And the girlfriend comes to you and says, my boyfriend wants me to lie for him in a situation. And he said to me that if I really loved him, I would lie for him. I don't know what to do. 
I don't think that it's right, but I do love him. Now, what's she caught in in that moment? She's caught in a quandary to think that love has to do more with a personal feeling rather than it has to do with truth and righteousness. Righteousness is doing that which is right. Love is never to be divorced from righteousness. And you know that you truly love someone when both of those are held in balance. And your counsel to her should be something along this lines that basically says, if you really do love him, you need to let him know that you cannot lie for him because that's not right. Her love's not proven by saying the lie. Her love is proven by saying, I can't go there. Or take the whole aspect of physical intimacy. If you love me, you'll do it. Where does that come from? If you love me, you will protect God's wisdom and boundaries in the physical intimacy of a relationship. If you love me, you will protect me in God's righteousness. I know it's hard. It's not taught much today. In fact, sometimes people say, well, just don't go there anymore. You know, the things have changed in our culture. It's different. Friends, we don't have the choice to change the moral code of Scripture. That's above our pay grade, if I can say that. God knows in his infinite wisdom what is best, and he's laid out the moral direction for human beings not to kill our joy, but to protect it, to keep it sanctified, if I can use that word, and elevate it to its greatest good. And in our culture today, everything seems to be up for a vote. It's not. And when it comes to love, what is and isn't love is not up for a vote. Love is love that comes from the Father that's acted towards others in righteousness. And what is right is the best way to love another person. So it's not the question, well, if you love me, you'll do this. No. If it's not right, if you love them, then you will stand on the side of righteousness and show that you have self-control, show that you have a desire to honor God, show that you desire to uh, be able to see truth as a foundation of your relationship. But it's not just in a guy-girl or a romantic kind of relationship like those two illustrations. It may have to do with your workplace. It may have to do with some other kind of dimension of your life. If there is a question, do I, am I really loving in this situation, then you can't base it on feelings. Feelings come and go. You base it on God's love, His truth, and His righteousness. Truth, love, and righteousness will bring you the confidence and the assurance to move forward in a situation. And so John's bringing these together in a beautiful manner. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commandments. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. 
you want to raise your hand there in that little church and say, John, I got a question. Some of the commands of God to me feel like weight, like heavy weight. They're burdensome on me. But John's saying you push through that. It's not saying that obeying the commands of God is easy. But it's not ultimately burdensome because it's life-giving. It's not life-killing to obey the commands of God. And so we teach our children and we practice in our own life the commands of the Lord, not because he's trying to strip us of joy in life, but because he's trying to give us the joy in life. Boundaries do not keep us from the love, power, and the experience of God's fullness in our life. Boundaries, his commands, if you will, are life-giving. I've sometimes said, maybe you've heard me reference it before, when is a train free to be a train? When it's on the tracks, right? You take a train off the tracks, it's not going anywhere. It can't be a train. All right? When is a human being free to be fully human? When it's on the tracks of how God has commanded us to live life. And sometimes it takes a really long time for us to figure that out. You know, there's a desire for us to love and to be able to move forward in our relationships with one another. And there are times where it's hard for us to be forthright and truthful. I'm not saying here this morning that you need to beat somebody over the head with truth and say, yeah, I love you, and because I love you, you're a dirty, nasty, you know, unrighteous kind of person. No. You're not going to be overbearing. You're not going to be self-loving. You're not going to be um, hard-hitting. But you're going to be honest. And sometimes we need to be honest with one another in love and say, that's not a part of God's righteousness and I can't go there. Or any of you familiar with the little white lie? Sometimes we do the little white lie. Why? Because we want to avoid... um, the other person being hurt, but it's really not the other person being hurt. We don't want the other person to get upset with us because we don't want to have that conflict. And so we're really sort of loving ourselves when we do the little white lie, if you go with me on this. There's this aspect that we need to speak truth because of love and to nurture that relationship. Is there someone in your life right now that you're not speaking truth to? that your love's based upon that feeling, but it's not based upon righteousness. Ask for God's grace and his discernment to speak the truth in love and to do it in a manner that's not condescending, that's not arrogant, but one that comes with humility. And I'll guarantee you this, you walk through those kinds of moments with friends, family members, enemies even, those may become some of the people most endeared to you and you to them in the course of life because your relationship is not built on falsities, white lies or charades or other things. It's built upon truth. I want to mirror truth into your life, and I want you to mirror it back to me. Those are honest, deep, Christ-centered, loving relationships that John's calling the body of Christ to. And it's not burdensome. Verse 4 says this, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? 
only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We want our kids to be overcomers when they go back to school. We want to be overcomers when we head back into the marketplace tomorrow. How do we become overcomers? It's by our faith. But the faith is not in and of ourselves. The faith is in the Son of God and God who dwells within us. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The victory is the Lord's. His life dwelling within us helps us to be the overcomers in all situations. And that faith is him, in his indwelling needs to walk forward every day of our life. It's not a mere cognitive faith in a creed like we mentioned. It is a faith of experiential, an experiential faith of Christ himself dwelling within us. John wanted this group of Christians to be overcomers because they were being banged up by their culture and teaching false teachings around them. And he is saying, stand up, step forward, step forward in the faith that God dwells within you. Walk in full righteousness, truth, and love. And because he dwells within us, it's our faith that ends up becoming the overcomer. It's not the faith itself, but it's the faith in who we have. Um, do you remember the story of Moses leaving the promise, I mean, leaving Egypt, taking the Israelites, trying to head to the promised land, they encounter some enemies called the Amalekites. And the battle was uh, happening in the valley. Joshua and them were trying to fight the battle to defeat the Amalekites, to, to do God's will to move towards the promised land. And the battle was not going very well. You can read it. I think it's in Exodus 17. And in Exodus 17, the battle's not going well for the Israelites. And so what Moses does is Moses removes himself. He, he goes up on top of a mountainside and he lifts up, his, um, up, up the scepter uh, or the staff and that represented God's power, God's trust in the authority and the power of God. And so when Moses lifted up the staff, guess what happened? In the valley, they were fighting, they were doing their work, and you got to fight, you got to work. But it was the faith of Moses saying, it's God's battle, and it's God who's fighting this, it's God who's going to overcome it. And as he had his hand lifted up with the staff, the battle started to turn against the Milikites and for the Israelites. But if you remember this story, he got tired and his hand would come down and his hand would come down and the battle would switch. The Amalekites would start beating up on the Israelites. He'd raise his staff and then it would flip. The Israelites would start winning over the Amalekites. And it went up and down and he just got so weary. So finally he went and, and he went and he, he got a chair, some stone, right? And he sat down on it and he raised up his hand and the scepter and the staff and Aaron, his brother, and her, who was also another religious leader that day, they came and they held the arms of Moses up. And so the victory became the Lord's because they were identifying that it was the Lord who was going to overcome this difficult situation. Do you remember that story? Great story. You can read it. This passage about we are overcomers in the Lord is a similar kind of idea. You're hitting a battle. You're struggling. You need assurance. You need confidence. You can be an overcomer, not because you can suck it up and do better, but because if you're a follower of God, Christ lives within you, and he can move and make action happen through you. But you have to decide that the battle is the Lord's and keep your arms lifted, if you will, to be the overcomer 
Even if you need some other people to help you lift. I remember when we um, got the, uh, the effort, opportunity to, to uh, move into this facility and stuff. And I, I had the, the gentleman, some of you know him, uh, Michael Bosch from uh, the Arabic-speaking congregation that meets here after us. Uh, he, he sat down with me. And I said, Michael, we want to move buildings. Would you move with us? And his immediate response was, we'll be the Aaron and the Her." That meant the world to me. Because he says, Carrie, you go for it. You lead your body. We'll go and we'll, we'll rent space and be a part of it too for our church. And he backed it up in some beautiful ways. Maybe you need somebody to lift your hands, but the battle is the Lord's. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's new every morning. It is Christ in you that is able to overcome the world. What we contribute is our belief and trust that his life is at work within us. And it's not a faith of yesterday. Oh, yeah, I I got saved the other day, uh, like 10 years ago. No. It's not the faith of yesterday, but a faith of today. Christ in us, working through us, enabling us to be overcomers in this world and love others. Assurance and confidence. You don't go purchase it. You don't try to strum yourself up to get it, to produce it. You center yourself on the one who is all-powerful, who loves you, And you let him do the battle. Now don't get me wrong. You have to fight the battle. They did in the valley. Joshua didn't say, hey, pull back. You know, Moses is up there raising his hand for some goofy reason. I think we're good. No. They stayed fighting. You need to stay fighting. Stay in God's word. Pray. Seek to do the will of God around you. Take time cultivating that relationship with him and loving others, serving others. You do battle, but you need to know to become more than an overcomer, it's not you. It's Christ in you, for he has overcome. And it's his steadfast love that will endure forever. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Christ in you. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples sometimes? I love it. It is recorded in John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, this week, school, whatever, you'll have tribulation. But the New King James, I love it when it says it this way, but be of good cheer. Good cheer. For I, Christ says, have overcome the world. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who's discouraged, beat up, downcast, fearful of maybe something that's going to happen this week. Maybe something that's happened to them in recent days. Lord, may they know that your steadfast love endures forever. And in their lament, may they turn to knowing that your mercies are new every morning. That your presence as a Christ follower dwells within them, God.
and that you are the one who will overcome. May they stay the course, fighting the battle as you lead them in this world. But Lord, may they acknowledge through faith that the battle is yours. Lord, we pray this for any individual here, and Lord, we pray it afresh and anew over our kids and our students as they head back to school, and college students as well, that in those environments in which they encounter oftentimes unrighteous, even wicked kind of approaches, harm that can come to them, may they find in you strength. And may they see it modeled in us as their parents. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we close, I'm going to ask the ushers to come and to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. We um, have the opportunity for you to give through a mobile app online if you want. But uh, continue to be faithful to God in all ways as we step into the fall. We're going to be talking some next week about group life and being able to get connected to be able to take this loving one another into more deeper practice. But uh, ushers, just come forward and, and pass the offering baskets. Place in the card any responses you might have. Hey, I want to be a part of a group or maybe you have a prayer request. Maybe you wrote the word lunch on the back to be a part of the um, upcoming training uh, for our early childhood volunteers. But I want us to, uh, and I put it out on a posting that I sent in an email to everybody or put on Facebook, but whenever I hear the phrase back to school as a pastor, I'm sorry, I think back to church as well. And so there's so much plan and preparation to get us back into our routine for the fall. Just encourage you to establish the routine to come and worship and be found in the presence of God as we grow and we take step by step going to finish out uh, the book, uh, the letter to the first John letter in these coming weeks. And then we're going to start afresh and anew as we step uh, into September. But uh, I am so grateful for your love and your devotion to the body and the family of Christ and that you are holding the hands of others up through the course of a week and allowing them to see that God is an overcomer and a victor. Will you stand for me as I give you a parting blessing? May you receive it, Lord Jesus. May your power and strength from on high come and dwell upon your people as they seek to live your love and righteousness this week. Give them wisdom for the day and the need that they have. And Lord, may your spirit well up within them with strength beyond their years to go and do what you've called them to do in bringing others to you and glory before your throne. Amen.